Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and cool, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you to this episode, where tonight we'll be discussing my film pick of the week, 1977, The Sentinel, directed by Michael Winner. But before we do all that, I wanted to talk to my co-host, my Sentinels for the evening, the bold and the beautiful, the Gobi Keith. Bow down! Down, all of you! Gone! What is up, everybody? What is going on tonight? Welcome back. Welcome back. Excited to have you guys here. Excited to be talking about uh, the movie later on tonight. We're also joined by the psychotic simian, the man monkey, the prince of Moore's Day. Yes, get fucky with the monkey. Yes, keep it a funky, keep it a fresh. This is the Mad Monkey broadcasting to you live from the Drunken Monkey Rehabilitation Clinic, where we, the Talking Tail crew, your full horsemen of horror, bring you the best goddamn horror podcast there is in all of the motherfucking land. So make sure you listen on Spotify. Make sure you listen on iTunes. Make sure you listen on Blog Talk. And make sure you listen with your mama. Make sure you listen with your neighbor. It really don't motherfucking matter. Just make sure you fucking listen. What's up, Monkey? Hi, Monkey. Hi, dude. <laughs> uh, you here? I know we are still waiting on the king to join us for his horror news and everything that we have to talk about before we get into the movie. But uh, while we're waiting on uh, guys, uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago on the show, the Netflix four-part docuseries, The Sons of Sam, The Set in the Darkness, dropped today on three episodes in, one episode to go. What a series it is! If you want a rabbit hole, if you want to really deep dive into David Berkowitz and those killings that happened between '76 and '77 in New York, I recommend. Especially if you love what I love—the archive footage of New York in the '70s, where everybody's freaking out and everybody's like, you know, hey, I wanted to take my girl out and wanted to make out with her in the car, you know, but like, you know, this fucking son of Sam guy out there—he's killing me. I'm scared. We just want to do anything about it. I was like, oh, I just love <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there too, man. It's like I just because again I grew up so far away from it, you know, and you know, Google, feel free to chime in, you know, in, in a second because we knew you grew up in it. You know, for me it was like New York in the you know the seventies, early eighties. You know, to me it was just such an alien world. You know, growing up in you know in the South and just it. It was literally a world apart from the rest of the United States. It, you know, the the things that were going on at that time, and you know, like like we've talked about before, you know, with the garbage strikes and the things going on, and the you know, all all of the condemned buildings all over the place. You know, to to me, I always find that fascinating that a place like that, you know, with that kind of architecture, was just a desolate wasteland in the late seventies. But, again, Ghoul, you were the one that actually grew up, you know, in there in the 80s, man. Yeah, again, you know, for me, it was, you know, living in Brooklyn and then popping into the city to to, to get to where my grandmother worked and uh, my great-grandmother. Um, 
and, and yeah, obviously visiting other relatives and stuff like that. And then, yeah, eventually I was in Staten Island, still in New York, but not as, as deep in. Yeah, we, we did the bouncing. But, yeah, New York City, you know, for me, when, when I think of New York City as a kid, I think of the New York City that you see in, you know, Maniac and, and that kind of city. So, you know, this dank, dark, scary place because, you know, there were, there were killers on the corner and hookers, you know, everywhere and porn shops and sex shops and theaters and porn theaters and theaters that were a mix of everything else. Um, yeah, like I've said a thousand times, you know, I, I really was looking forward to, to, as a kid, I was looking forward to finally reaching the age in which I could have partook in, in any and all of those things except for the murderers, I guess. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, unfortunately it was gone thanks to Rudy Giuliani by the time I got there. Right. Yeah. He, um, got rid of him. Yeah. 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 But uh, real quick on, like, per, a personal note uh, b- before we get into the horror news I, with uh, the dean here, I just sit there and wanted to sit there and just bring out a personal note here about I have my 11th wedding anniversary this Monday, so I'm excited about that. But we also Aww, have happy the, anniversary. But, but thank you, man. But we also have the King of Horrors birthday coming up on the very same day. That's right, May 10th. All right. So all of you people out there, all of our loving fans, you know, remember his birthday is coming up on May 10th. All right. And you know what the fucking King of Horrors fucking loves to get as presents? Fucking Chia Pets. That's right. He, he fucking loves Chia Pets. <laughs> No, no, no! Seriously, seriously. If anybody and if any fans want to send the King of Horror <laughs> a birthday present, uh, yeah, next to Chia Pets, we'll get back into that in a second. But seriously, send the motherfucker a Fright Rags gift card. He fucking loves the Fright Rags gift cards. That's his go-to. He fucking loves that shit. Motherfucker cannot get enough of his horror shirt. But if you can't do that, then Chia Pets. Yeah, Chia Pets yeah, is the king. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I would grow my 
that's like for that. So yeah, no, but yeah, 11 years, man. You know, that's, that's congratulations on that. i you know, I haven't even been a lot. <laughs> a lot easier when my wedding anniversary and my best friend's birthday are on the same day. <laughs> it's like, don't need to mark the calendar for shit. Just mark everything out at the same day. And the fact that Mother's Day is the day right before, it's like, boom, all right, knock it, just knocking out holidays. I'm fucking loving it. <laughs> yeah. Don't face the shit up. Like <laughs> That's you know, how you always so remember. Cute. You're like, you're like, anniversary all the time. Like, I know, baby, I know. My birthday's coming up. Thank you. It's like, because it's my fucking birthday, too, goddammit. I know. No, babe. I'm like, oh, feel you. Thank you for reminding me when my birthday is, because I don't want to remember it. It's another day for me. No, it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but th- there was the one year where it was a bitch because of uh, your birthday a couple of years ago fell on a Friday, and that was my anniversary, so I had to split the night of going over to your house, hanging out and watching wrestling for a little bit, then cutting out early so that I could spend the rest of the night hanging out with the diva this our anniversary. So that night was a little weird. <laughs> I told you that night. I was like, dude, you don't have to come hang out with me. Go home and bang your wife. It's your anniversary. No, dude, no. It's your birthday, too. And I was like, thanks, but... I don't know, man. <laughs> it's my anniversary and my best friend's birthday. Man, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I got some stuff to do tonight. My wife said, I will definitely be here tomorrow. But tonight, yeah, my dick's got a lot of work to do. See you tomorrow. <laughs> but no, oh, yeah. you, you came through. And you, and you <laughs> so I've not had a chance to yet to watch it, Ghoul, but I have heard that the new Star Wars series, The Bad Bunch, has dropped. Uh, yes, yes, I haven't watched it either. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the animated stuff. So for me, I'm always tentative with any of that. I've, uh, I actually stuff. started diving back into the, uh, the book series and, uh, finally, finally went around and started Timothy Zahn's Thrawn series, the, uh, the first of the Thrawn oh. series that he, uh, and oh my God, how I, yeah, you know what? Instantly, instantly remembered how much I love this guy's writing style and how awesome the character is. So I am, I am freaking loving it. And I've got, uh, you know, two more in that series to go. Plus the first two books in the, uh, the second Thrawn trilogy that he's, uh, that he's working with. So I've got a, I've got a lot. All right, cool. I believe we do have the Dean on the show. Dean, are you here? Are you hearing me? Yeah, I'm fine. Everything is yes. good. Oh, dude. Good. All right. Me, awesome. Me, me. <laughs> Welcome God, to the show, man. May God be with you. Thank you. Dominus Omis. Go with, go with Jesus. And also with oh, you. Also with you. Right, we come to you broadcasting live from the church. Hail you. Feeling very holy. <laughs> feeling very holy. holy. <laughs> what, you mean like a redneck t-shirt? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, welcome to the show, Dean. All right, now that you're oh, here, thank you. uh, let's thank you for the warm, the warm welcome. And I knew I can always count on a warm welcome from my 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 fellow uh, co-hosts on this fine program. Free Dean. <sighs> <laughs> and I love you too. 
No, no, that was all. No, that wasn't that. That wasn't me, man. That was all your European fans. You know, all all your yes, women was, over there. You know, speaking to when you go, I was speaking to them all. <laughs> speaking to them all. <laughs> speaking to all of the fans. Uh, we love you very much. And we thank you for your support. All, you know, thank you, mom. All of you out there. <laughs> <laughs> the monkey loves his mother. <laughs> I, I I love my mama. <laughs> That's too bad. All right, so dude, so what have we got this week on Horror News, man? Oh, there's just so many items to talk about on the list this evening. It's well, been yes, there uh, are. Uh, such a such a such a thorough week once again of, of news. But uh, you know, I've 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 often wondered why, um, like the release, and I'm I'm sure I've talked about this on the program before, but the the trailer uh, event uh, be, becoming a thing over the last few years of, you know, a film that we've been looking forward to says, we're going to release the trailer in three days. You know, and like, like who fucking gives a fuck? Just release the goddamn trailer. Um, but anyway, I, speaking of which, tomorrow. Dude, that's been a May huge 6th. deal, man. <laughs> yeah. I know. In May 6th, tomorrow you will get the chance to see the final trailer for A Quiet Place 2 coming no! to theaters on May 28th. Finally, the chance, the chance you've all been waiting for for so long, all the way back to the pre-pandemic movie theater experience. Uh, <laughs> you've been clamoring all this time for the sequel to A Quiet Place, and, and the time is at hand just a few short weeks away. I sense a slight tone of sarcasm. Are they they waiting with anticipation? Is the excitement uh, still out there? Because remember, A Quiet Place was a a sizable hit uh, for the horror genre that had some of that kind of mainstream appeal. Mm -hmm. Has that excitement gone by the wayside, or will A Quiet Place 2 have an audience uh, ready and willing to support it, especially with so many combo theatrical VOD releases, Quiet Place 2 is going straight theaters May 28th. There you go. The hype machine. you got to get people hyped again. You can't just be like, hey, man, movie comes out like next week. Go see it. All right. No, you got to be like, dude, fucking three days, man. Trailer drops, son. Trailer drops. You're going to check it out. You're going to start coming. Your wife's going to start orgasming. Your fucking kids are going to be like, what's happening? Like, that's what you need to do. Hype train. What kind of relationship are you in when that's going on? But I'm in a very <laughs> unique relationship. We put the sexy one. <laughs> the, the quiet No, no, place too scene. sexy, too sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dean. Oh. oh, no, please, no apologies. But what I was about to say <laughs> is that the Quiet Place team uh, is banking on a hit because they already are working on a third film. What? Uh, They have hired writer uh, Jeff Nichols, who is currently writing the script for a third Quiet Place film, uh, working off of an idea uh, that was created by John Krasinski. Uh, Krasinski will not be writing uh, the third film, but they are already uh, working on the third film. So I'm assuming that means that they're banking on a a sizable return uh, with a Quiet Place 2. I'm sure they are. We'll see. That's the first one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, 
or or Quiet Place Three is going to be a straight to DVD release in the Walmart release section. One of the two. We always we always planned this as a trilogy. <laughs> oh, of course. We always meant it to be a trilogy. <laughs> I mean, well, isn't essentially everything these days? At least. <laughs> yeah. O- only when the first one succeeds. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. That's pretty much it. Now, all along. <laughs> moving on to the next mm-hmm. property of which our very own uh, King of Horror is beside himself with excitement. Um, we know I love you we know that May 21st is just a a short 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 time away uh, when Netflix will uh, debut Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead yes previously right here on this very program I had mentioned that uh, it's been announced that there was going to be a one week theatrical window for Army of the Dead uh, before it hits Netflix, and now I have some more details about said release. Uh, It's going to be in 600 theaters uh, through the Cinemark, the Cinemark, I Pick, Alamo Drafthouse, Parkins, and Cineopolis Theater Companies. you know, 600 screens cut up amongst all of those companies. AMC and Regal are not in on this because, uh, you know, when they do their big business, you know, they're not happy about the length of theatrical window uh, before it hits Netflix. So they decided to abstain politely uh, from airing Army of the Dead in any of their theaters. So uh, 600 theaters on May 14th. So uh, there will be a one-week window to see Army of the Dead if any of those theater chains are in your area. Um, yeah, I know people are excited uh, for Army of the Dead, uh, but a viewing uh, will tell us all uh, if it has yeah. been worth the zombie wait. Zombie robots! <laughs> <laughs> can it be undead if it was never alive? That's what I want to know. How how can a fucking well, robot be a zombie? It, like, because you can't be undead if it... Oh! Well, monkey. Okay, so we're... So we're talking about Johnny Five is a zombie. Is that what we're going for? <laughs> He's <Yeah>. alive. <laughs> he has a cameo in the movie. Look, there's an undead. And if you get bitten by a robot zombie, do you become a robot? That's something to wonder about. Oh, dude, like the or, fucking chicken well, Superman King, you're just going to have to watch that show. Right exactly. Now. Exactly, go. Yeah. You fucking beat me to it. I thought the exact same fucking thing, man. Where he got s- sucked his computer and then all the fucking wires got all over it, man. That fucking freaked me out when I saw that in a the fucking theater. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Fucking nightmare <laughs> fuel right there, man. That's what that was. Bad enough that Superman had to go bad in that movie, you know? But, but for that woman to get turned like that, ooh, gave me the willies. Oh, dude, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I totally remember that shit in theaters. I was like on the edge of my seat, going, "What the fuck? This was supposed to be a comic book movie. This was thing is scaring the fuck out of me." Because back then, I wanted nothing to do with horror movies. So I was like, oh, "Scary robot lady! Oh shit!" I still couldn't believe Superman didn't like peanuts that much. <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, stay tuned for Army of the Dead. Coming to a parking lot near you. <laughs> uh, 
Hoping to talk in terror soon. <laughs> yes. Oh. It's going to be a bad week for me. <laughs> the king doesn't normally drink on this. <laughs> the king has stopped drinking when we do this show, but that week might be an exception. It's going to be a drinking episode for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm really planning it out. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's going to be a day. That's going to be an episode sponsored by Nary Gansett and Jameson. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's be a, a We're still waiting. Time. We're still waiting for that phone call. <laughs> yeah, I know. Huh? Or that DM in, in any of our various social media applications. What are we talking about? What? Our DMs are open for business, all of you big companies out there that are ready to spend some of that oh. advertising money to, to get the word out to 17 people. <laughs> look, yeah, they're not. Look at you, James. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, to, we're talking to you, Jamesons. We have no problem being sponsored by Jamesons, <laughs> the future proud sponsor of Talking Terror. <laughs> like, hey, if you might not have a big audience, get... but we have a damn, we have a damn loyal audience. We do. Thank, Thank you, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> that <aren't really> <laughs> Jameson's definitely going to be sponsoring my liver. That's my book. Yeah. I'm going to get my mom to call Jameson and give him a harsh talking to. <laughs> you, you do that. You do that. You tell him this is my Remember, they're in Ireland, so you might have to adjust your phone call for time zones. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what is next? What a great question. I'm glad you what asked. What is love? Uh, Baby, don't hurt me. I don't know about <laughs> any of you, uh, but one of the reboots on the never-ending uh, reboot calendar uh, that reboot. I am uh, awaiting patiently and looking forward to is the Toxic Avenger uh, reboot, because why do we not need more Toxie uh, spending time in our lives? And we've already known that wildly... Uh, terrific act of casting uh, that Peter Dinklage has, you know, long since signed on uh, for the lead role. Uh, but uh, it's now been announced that uh, the star of something called Zola uh, has been added to the cast of uh, uh, Toxic Avenger reboot as the female lead. An actress named uh, Taylor Page uh, has signed on as the female lead. So it looks like Peter Dinklage will. Uh, or Toxie, shall I say, will have his love interest um, announced. So uh, continuing to keep my eye on this one, I'm, I'm hoping for, you know, old-fashioned Toxic Avenger fun. And, um, you know, we'll continue to talk about it as the time draws ever closer. So so it definitely has been confirmed then that uh, Peter Dinklage is going to do Toxie, like as the main no, character? No, he's signed on as the lead role. That's like, a, that's, like, that's like real legit news, yes. Oh, awesome, man. Yeah. Whether he's he's Melvin yes. Junko before he becomes Toxie, that's going to be remain to be seen. But I'd rather see him as Toxie personally. I think that would be fucking amazing to have Peter Dinklage play. You know what? Okay. I've seen Peter Dinklage play, play a giant dwarf, so anything can be possible at this point. <laughs> it, it's I true. love Dinklage. And Zola is actually a really good movie. Check it out. It's a great uh, comedy uh, movie. Uh, I would say it's more biographical comedy, but still, it's a good one. So check out Zola. I think the ghoul might actually like it. <laughs> I think it might be right up his alley. Is it Adam Zola? 
uh, it's about strippers and a weekend of fun debauchery. You know what? I've never been a big stripper guy, man. I just always tended to take my money, like that Russian one that time. Yeah, I've seen it happen. It's not good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. King was certainly present Wait, for that Do you remember one. that time? Do you remember that time that we were in the city? Um, I think maybe before we in were going city. on like a major game or something, and we went we went into that club and uh, there was like nobody in there, and uh, like a dozen like swarmed us the second we hit the bar, and they were all just like, "Whoa, would you like to buy us a drink?" And drinks were like twenty seven fucking dollars or some shit, and we just like <laughs> fucking beat it out of there. Do you remember that? Uh, we're like poor. <laughs> We've got our tickets for the fucking get home. That's what we got. Seriously, yeah, you, know do, do you remember you that? Know, <laughs> I remember. Vaguely, man. You know, you know how those, those oh. fucking nights were for us, bro. They were always heavily, most of them heavily inebriated. You know, I I do remember fucking vividly, man, the night that we uh, came out of the Ranger game, and then we met uh, Casparitis and fucking Lundquist, dude. And Lundquist, with them fucking. Oh yeah, fuck, dude. Yeah, with, the, with them fine ass fucking women on their arms, dude, as they were coming uh-huh. out of the garden that night. Oof. Yeah. God damn. But, but, dude, hey, they, I'll tell you what, though, those two homies gave us, like, they gave us a few minutes of FaceTime where their chicks just stood around rolling their eyes, so uh, mm-hmm. kudos to them. They were fine looking Kudos chicks, to them. Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what else you got on the document? Right. So, uh, there's been so many rumors flying around about the upcoming uh, Spider-Man no Way Home, and who's going to be in it, and who's not going to be in it, but it's known that Alfred Molina is going to be <laughs> returning as Doc Ock, and there's been all these rumors that all of the Spider-Men were going to appear, Tobey Maguire, and um, the current uh, Spider-Man, I guess, is uh, uh, Tom uh-huh. Holland, and then, uh, and then a- Andrew Garfield, uh, has also been a Spider-Man as well. Uh, and Spider-Man. when uh, production was going on, it was like, oh, Tobey Maguire was seen near the set. Uh, he must be reprising his role. And then there was like, Tobey Maguire is asking for $20 million. There was all this bullshit, and nobody knows what's going on. But uh, Andrew Garfield was participating in the Happy Confused podcast, and the host of that show asked him point blank about his involvement. And, you know, take what he says with a grain of salt, of course, but Andrew Garfield said that, nope, there's absolutely nothing to it. Uh, He is not in it. Uh, Spider-Man stuff is happening, uh, but he hasn't gotten a call. So uh, that's uh, that's a quote from Andrew Garfield himself, Um, you know, whether he is just playing coy and not allowed to say it because it's supposed to be a surprise, especially like with Tobey Maguire being on the set and there's been talk of all of the Spider-Men returning. Uh, but Andrew Garfield has said on this podcast that he is not participating. That he is, where that he has yet to receive a call. Yeah, because I mean, that's my the huge thing when you're working for Marvel is that yeah, you aren't allowed to say a fucking thing. Sorry, cool. What were you gonna say? Well, that's why you know who they need to ask is Tom Holland because Tom Holland is famous for his slip-ups and reveals on these things. <laughs> it's my in- infamous forum. Yeah, yeah he, he is, is one of the worst ones. 
What what is an example uh, of that? I, this is the first I'm hearing of this. Yeah, I can't give you an example. Come on, man. Really? Well, <laughs> no, it, it's just there. There were times when he's been on late show interviews and stuff like that, and they've asked him about the movie and who's going to be in it. You know, is this character going to be in it? That character going to be in it? You know, because we've heard rumors, blah blah blah. And they're not supposed to say a goddamn thing except go see the movie. You know, and find out for uh-huh. yourselves. But there are times where he's like just tripped up so bad. You know, <laughs> right. They go on the shows and they say things like, uh, you know, oh, I've been in Spider-Man and it, it, I had to get into the best shape of my life. And I, I worked with my trainer 24 hours a day to get into the shape for Spider-Man. And you're all going to love it. So please buy your ticket soon. <laughs> Put it this way. There's a seven minute and 22 second video on YouTube of just Tom Holland dropping <laughs> spoilers and stuff during interviews. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, he's terrible at it, but it's kind of fun in the way. Poor guy. Just so fucking oh, yeah. Exactly. You know, he's having fun with it, and that's the thing. You know, like that. That I can't. I can't blame him. I love him. So he's he's my, he's one of my favorites. Mm. Up there. I'd love to see Garfield back mm. too, but and and I'm hoping that all these guys are in it. You know, I, I'm all good with it. So no matter what they do, I, mm. I've enjoyed each of their performances in some way or another. <laughs> Despite anything else that was going on with any of the performers, it's like the one thing I really fucking loved about Andrew Garfield was while he was playing the role of Spider-Man, you know, in his Spider-Man films, he actually dressed up as Spider-Man and went around at San Diego Comic-Con asking people about the Spider-Man movie and shit like that and what they thought of it, you know. <laughs> and, you know and then, you know, be like, you know, if you have a... a ever had a chance to meet him, you know, what would you say? You know, yeah, he wasn't my favorite Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, later just shows him just walking out and then pulling the mask up and then doing a big shh to the camera. <laughs> it's funny as hell. <laughs> I, was, I always loved his smack talk. You know, I felt like he uh, he played a really good Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, yeah. Enjoy, I enjoyed his, his version of it. And, you know, he did... Did a decent job at his his fake New York accent, you know, a little little overplayed, but that that's okay. But it was all about that that trash talking, man, and spite, and he had it, you know. That that's something that yeah. I feel like was missing with the other two. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's like he he is the PG thirteen version of Deadpool. Is you know he he's the guy that is there talking shit while he's beating your ass. You know, Spider Man has always done that. And you have to have that whenever you have a, a Spider-Man character. And that's why I didn't like Tobey Maguire is because every time he was trying to try stalking, it sounded like he was literally reading off a cue card in the back of his pocket. You know? <laughs> it, it just didn't flow. It didn't feel right. Yeah, cause, yeah like, I don't know. Like, I picture Tobey Maguire as smarmy douche, you know, uh, especially considering some of like, the history I've heard from him, too, in Hollywood. That that he he is that kind of person and he's got that look to him so and that's just not Spider Man you know and the Tom Holland version of Spider Man is awkward humor you know so it's not so much of that uh, that that cocky um, I'm covering up as much as it's just mistaken geek stuff yeah it, mm-hmm. his is a Spider Man that's still coming of age coming of age <laughs> oh jeez <Okay>. cool. <laughs> No, oh God, you're gross. Uh, That's terrible. Sticky fingers. No, because 
No, because now you're making me remember the Jack Black skit he did back in the day where he was parodying the first Spider-Man movie. <laughs> All right. Awkward silence. All right. Dean, what's next? What do you got? All right. Uh, some of you out there are big fans of the Purge uh, series and the 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 film franchise allegedly is coming to an end on July 2nd uh, when the final Purge film, Forever Purge, uh, gets released. And uh, what they're pushing to fill the seats with this one uh, is that... Uh, I guess characters of um, Alea and Juan, I don't know if these are recurring characters from previous Purge films, uh, but they wind up uh, on a rural Texas ranch. Uh, They said that this time the Purge is purposefully taking the Purge out of a metropolitan setting and will take place on this rural ranch, Texas. So if you are a fan of the Purge series, uh, this is your chance to see the alleged last film uh, before... Uh, this this lauded franchise fades away into the into the into the ether. Would you like some ether? Ether. Yeah, I'm looking for. I, I saw a couple of images earlier this week from the Forever Purge, and uh, just like the idea of it, you know, kind of hitting back at some people that just can't give it up. You know, even though the Purge is abolished and it's no more. You're going to get a couple of those good old boys like, never going to happen. Never going to take my guns away. Not my president. <laughs> yeah. He didn't lose the election, <laughs> y'all. It's the forever purge. Never going to stop, y'all. <laughs> get her done. There you have it. it. Look, For yeah, those of you that are I, myself, uh, have not seen one minute of anything Purge. Um, so for those of you that are fans, I, I wish you I wish you a fine viewing experience, and I, I hope it makes all your dreams come true. I think you'd like the Me first too. one. First you know, there's boring. truly, for real, for, no, I, like I say this in all seriousness, there is truly, truly, truly uh, zero, zero, zero reason that I haven't seen anything. Uh, it's just one of those things that, for whatever reason, has just kind of escaped, um, and I just have not uh, had a chance to see it. So um, I, I'm not opposed to, to seeing it. And if I get like I if I, like, sit down on the TV and it was like starting like the like the first purge, you know, like I would totally watch it. Uh, it just has escaped my 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 uh, my ability to to see it, if you will. Don't sound like the present. <laughs> right. Speaking of no time like the present, uh, and I, I'm, I'm Monkey, definitely continuing tonight. I have watched. Huh? I have seen <laughs> the first two uh, episodes of season two of The Boys. I will be continuing Sweet. my boys journey later this evening. That sounded weird. <laughs> what, what sounded weird? <laughs> You're yelling at Sweet. <laughs> No, you just say you will continue your adventure at the boys later this evening. Sounded like a Catholic priest there yeah. for a second. <laughs> well, it fits our shows, and I stand by my statement. Um, but anyway, yeah, I was totally enjoying it. Way and, too early. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, now he has now he has he has plenty of time though to conjure up another one. But um, <laughs> I uh, am am totally enjoying it. Uh, you know, I feel like, and I could be totally wrong and be thinking of something yeah. else. But I feel that whenever it was that the second season was released, that I might have seen some chatter from some people in my Facebook feed that I know like watch that shit that was like, oh, this is disappointing. But I might be remembering wrong. But I am not disappointed. Like I'm totally digging it. So so far, and granted, I'm only two episodes into season two. Um, yeah, it's like again, the pace changes, but. I thoroughly enjoyed the ride through both season one and season two. Like the story definitely changes. The story definitely shifts, but it does not make it any less of a fun season. It's, it's still a good no, ride. I'm totally digging it. Yes. And yeah, so <laughs> totally I've watched the first two um, over the last day and I'll be, I'll be putting on more of that later for certain. That's cool, man. I'm just glad you're having a fun time with it, man. Yeah. I really, didn't know what it was about when that time, I don't know, like once again, we were talking about like comic book shit and I was like, this is the kind of comic book shit that I like. And one of you was like, how, how have you not watched the boys? I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck the boys is. Uh, well, I knew what it was, but I didn't know what it was about. So, um, so I'm glad I'm watching and I'll, I'll continue to keep you all posted on my, on my progress. It's possible by, Ooh. uh, the next episode of this very program, I will probably be done with season two. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Now, back to more pressing matters uh, here on our, on our program, uh, I would like to tell you all that uh, Universal and The Walking Dead's Robert Kirkman are teaming up uh, for a film about Dracula's lackey uh, that's simply going to be called Renfield. Uh, right. Robert uh. Kirkman was speaking on the Fat Man... Uh, Beyond uh, podcast hosted by uh, Kevin Smith. And uh, Kirkman said that uh, Renfield is is still a ways off, but he said that it is certainly in uh, development, but for a little bit down the line. Uh, And they're going to be telling a story about how shitty a job it is being Dracula's henchman. Uh, But he also said that it's going to be a fun, extremely violent comedy. So... Uh, you know, if that sounds like something that is of interest to you, uh, you have that to look forward to from Universal and Robert Kirkman. Uh, Renfield. 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 Renfield? Yes. Indeed. Come stars in Renfield. Speaking of other things that are down the line, uh, Marvel... Uh, you know, we know they're rebooting uh, Blade, uh, the the film, uh, well, not film character, but in the world of film, made famous by the legendary Wesley Snipes. Um, and we know that uh, Maharshala Ali is going to be stepping you know, into wow. the Blade for the uh, Marvel reboot. And Marvel has now, uh, there's been, I feel like, a lot of Marvel uh, news about sequels and Marvel fucking universe and all this shit, but they said that uh, for Blade that right now they are looking at hiring uh, a black director to direct the Blade film and they said that uh, filming is slated to begin in July of 2022 so something else that's a little bit down the line but uh, while this project has been talked about for some time Marvel has finally put a timestamp on it uh, 
um, obviously, because we talk about news at this portion of our show each week when there's more news about this. I'll, I'll be sure to tell all of you about it. Uh, you know, as soon as I hear something, I'll share it here with all of you. I'll hold my breath. Okay, thank you. But not forever. Because if there's not news for quite some time and you're holding your breath for a long time, you can cause irreparable uh, damage to yourself. Thank you. (laughs) We're just looking out for your your best interests. He's a dean. He gives good advice. Okay, what's next? Everybody loves RoboCop. Well, I think I, I think most people like, everybody like loves the first Raymond. RoboCop film. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, not uh, no, some, no. A lot of people, a lot of people do. Um, you know, there was a period of time where I, where I, I thought that show was pretty funny. Um, I haven't seen an episode in five, fifteen years, but um, you know, I saw a few episodes and was like, oh, this is, this is kind of entertaining. But because uh, I love Peter uh, R.I.P., but I, I, I've been a long time fan of Peter Boyle uh, and Peter Boyle's kind of dry, angry style of comedy. So. Um, anyway, Buffalo Road. Uh, RoboCop, yes, <laughs> amongst many other things. Um, great old film uh, simply called Joe. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the film Joe. Um, starring Peter Boyle, uh, a very young Susan Sarandon. Um, you know, if you ever get the opportunity to see this film, I think it was from uh, the very early 1970s. Um, to, uh, you know, it covers like like Vietnam War era and like the hippie movement and, uh, you know, like this businessman, uh, you know, his daughter um, is like missing. She's like disappeared into the world of like the hippies and the counterculture. And, uh, you know, so this like straight laced, like corporate businessman of the early seventies needs to like go and try to find his daughter. And he ends up like from the stress, like, he goes to the bar and like Joe, Peter Boyle's character, like is like just a drunk at the bar who like goes on all these crazy rants about, um, you know, society and how hippies are ruining everything. And they like make a partnership to try and like find uh, the hippie, the hippie daughter. But Peter Boyle's performance is truly wonderful. I feel like this, like this little forgotten film I actually have uh, in my vinyl record collection, they actually put out back then a vinyl record that was called Joe Speaks, and it's just all of his monologues from the film. I have a vinyl record of that. So um, uh, I know that I'm rambling here a bit, but if you do ever get a chance to see this film, like I, I do strongly suggest it. Um, but anyway, uh, so getting back to RoboCop, um, apparently there's going to be something called RoboDoc, the creation of RoboCop, which is going to be uh, a deep dive documentary uh, behind the creation of the 1987 uh, original Robo, RoboCop film. Uh, there's going Ooh. to be interviews uh, with the creatives, with cast members, producers. Um, but uh, this project has actually been on hold for four whole years because there was one thing that they wanted that they have not been able to secure, the documentary uh, creators. And that was any kind of involvement or interview from Peter Weller which I feel is essential if you're trying to make a documentary about the original RoboCop. Well, they have <laughs> finally yeah, so. secured, they finally <laughs> were able to secure uh, an on-camera interview with Peter Weller about RoboCop. So the RoboDoc is back in production, and now whatever they need to do to like blend that into the rest uh, is currently taking place, and uh, we'll have more information uh, as it comes across the news desk. 
uh, as far as RoboDoc. That's something that I would certainly be interested in watching. I love the original fucking RoboCop film. That movie's awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, agreed, man. Yeah, but again, you know, we know what that would just boils down to is just Peter Weller going, yep, not enough money. Nope, still not enough money. Nope, still not enough money. <laughs> yeah, he's like a fucking old dude now. Um, right, isn't he in his, like, 70s? Well, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely up there. And he's, he's, and he's also a college and a historian. So, I mean, he's got plenty of money. I don't think it's a money issue. Yeah, he's going to be, be 74 next month. Yeah. So, you, you know, so. there was talk like um about whether or not uh he was going to participate in whatever the like the next RoboCop film was going to be, right? Aren't they doing one that's supposed to like a direct sequel to the first film? Aren't they doing that and or isn't RoboCop Universe getting that treatment? Am I remembering correctly? Cuz you're the one that yeah, gets that that that's your way home. Yeah, but just because <laughs> I look, I'm just a I'm just a I'm just a monkey that reads the news here. No offense to to our actual monkey. Uh, I was going to say, I, don't bring me into uh, this. Just because, I, just because I read the teletype doesn't mean that I have memorized all of the stories. I'm just reading the words that are put in front of my screen. The, the twins the twins sit there and censor his news of what he can read before the broadcast. Yeah, it's a, no further research needed, man. Just report it and get the job. That's it. Teletype out of here. This episode's over. I don't need to remember anything else. <laughs> Stay classy, San Diego, and go fuck yourself. <laughs> Off the demonic dean? Oh, who put a question mark at the end of his teletype reporting again? Oh, damn it. Don't read anything off that teletype. Uh, that's our dean. All right, so what's after? <laughs> that's, that, that, that's our dean. Uh, some genre some genre bending and blending. Uh, you know, I believe, I don't know if all of you saw it. I'm pretty sure that the ghoul saw it, but uh, released in 2020, uh, there was a there, there was a film that had like a little bit of buzz in as far as pandemic is concerned, like made a little noise, uh, a film called Freaky. Uh, I don't know if you all saw it. Ghoul, if I remember correctly, you saw it. Is this correct? Freaky, freaky. Uh, oh, wait, which one? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know King saw it as well. Yeah, it's it's done by the same people that did Happy Death Day. Okay, well, uh, the same people that did Happy Death Day and the same people that did Freaky uh, are uh, excited to announce their next project, which uh, they say is going to be uh, a little bit of genre bending. They're calling it – well, it's going to be called Time Cut, and uh, they are saying that it is a time cut. C U T. Oh, cut. Uh, this is I'm not sorry. a chromosome. C U N T. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. See you next Tuesday. Uh, so uh, <laughs> they're calling it a cross between Back to the Future and Scream. Uh, how they're going to blend those together remains to be seen. But uh, you know that are, those are the loose details about time cuts from the people that brought you Freaky and the people that brought you Happy Death Day. Wasn't Death that Day, just Happy, Happy Death, Death Day, Day too? Yeah, I don't know. I've well, seen none of them. But, yeah, I guess this is, like, time travel, too. So it's going to be, like, Marty McFly going back in time and just murdering the shit out of his dad. <laughs> over <laughs> and over again. Climb to the carpet. Heavy doc. I could have stabbed my dad to death. <laughs> I'm sorry. I spilled the Kool-Aid. <laughs> 
You're never going to be a science fiction writer, Dad. Get over it. Time to end it. <laughs> I'd be into that. Marty McFly is going back in time and killing all his... Yeah. <laughs> that's that's Yeah, I, I'd be into that. But yeah, so we'll see what, what unfolds. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Happy Death Day movies, and I was a big fan of the Freaky so. They I have like my Freaky, attention. So yeah. I like the first yeah, Happy Freaky Death Day, and I really enjoyed Freaky. So, so yeah, the Happy Death Day too. I felt like they were reaching a bit, and I mean, going by by this project, it sounds like this is what they were reaching for. Yes, the reach around. Yeah, well, that's what reach, yeah. reach around me. Yeah, hard to follow. Lucky Susan. Boom, boom, tick a boom, 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 tick a boom, boom, tick a boom, boom. Hot taco. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to Dukes next summer. Hot taco. Eat it before he eats you. Coming to Taco Bell. Tacos and burritos. Tacos and burritos. She goes to the pumpkin. Oh, thank you. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> happy birthday all the same. happy death day happy all the days <laughs> yeah now, that's right you can kill him Dean get him <laughs> burn now yeah. the king of horror has talked on this program so many times about his his never ending and undying love uh, for George Romero and while George Romero has, has, has left us, uh, you know, with only the body of work that uh, he had created, uh, it seems that George Romero had an unmade film, which was supposed to be uh, the coda, uh, but Twilight of the Dead uh, was supposed to be uh, another Romero film in his Of the Dead series, and uh, his, his, his widow, his uh, beloved Suzanne Romero, said that she has been developing the script for Twilight of the Dead uh, with three different screenwriters for the past few years. And she said the time has come to start meeting with possible directors. Uh, She said that what they have created is 100% true uh, to George's vision. Uh, That is a film that it's going to be the film that he wanted to make and that it's very much going to be a George Romero film. So, uh, Twilight of the Dead, uh, you know, apparently is going into production uh, with uh, Suzanne Romero saying that uh, her hands-on involvement uh, will continue uh, throughout every single step of the process. King, do you have more on that one? Uh, outside of what the... What, uh, was I not thorough enough for you, Monkey? Well, it's just, he, like, he, like you said... He, King is the guy when it comes to Romero and stuff, so I'm asking him yes, if he course. has more insight on this. Yes. King, do you have some insight uh, to share with us? I mean, other than what the dean had said, it's really it's a, a piece-together project, like Suzanne Romero said. It's a piecemeal project that George kind of had ideas for and was always writing stuff down. So uh, much King, like the Living King's Dead novel. Right now. Yeah, so, you know, it's... Uh, but the Living Dead novel came out last year that was written by Daniel Krause with notes from George Romero. That movie, that book was incredibly boring because it wasn't written by George. It was just piecemeal together by another writer. So 
Well, and I would, I would go in very hesitant to, to see what comes of it because it's not really George's uh, complete involvement because he's gone, but it's more just notes that he might have laying around. But with all the scripts that he had laying around, they could just adapt one of those. You know, he has full scripts laying around that have not been produced or put on film that they can grab and get a director and put it on screen and kind of commemorate George. But they want to do the zombie thing, so let them do it. And anything so that's Romero, I always pop. <laughs> All right, cool, King. Thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> as you I mean, nothing's going to compare to the Army of the Dead, which is what the King really wants to see. So, I can't wait for the King to see oh. that. Not enough booze in the world. <laughs> well, I mean, are you? Well, here's the here's the question that I'm going to continue to 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 pose. Uh, on episodes until the time is right, but are you going to break your attendance streak if uh, this film is chosen for a viewing for the Talking Terror program? Uh, this is a, a direct question that, 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 that needs your response. I said in all honesty that I probably would. I said, I, I'm normally You're probably going to break your attendance streak. Yeah, so they probably wouldn't. You know, I, I feel like it might happen. Would I mean, I'm not known for... Oh, Wow. No king? I mean, what's so, the show going to do? The world might, like, end. You know what I'm going to do later? I'm going to start making some posts to all our social medias, uh, posing as the king, uh, talking <laughs> about how proud I am of my, my, my streak of being the only host to have been on all of the episodes. Or, uh, right, you've been on every single one, right? You haven't missed one ever? Yeah, he's, no. the one that holds, nope. he's the one that holds the show together. It's like... So, the second only yeah. to you, Dean. <laughs> yeah, with his uh, whirlwind European tour. Let's, let's let's remember that in like, I mean, it, it could be pandemic caused, but uh, my attendance has been pretty stellar the past year plus. Let's let's not let's give that a little bit of credit, just a little bit, a tiny little bit. Oh. Certainly giving you. Yeah, I I have said nothing right. other than the fact that you have. You're pretty exemplary with your attendance record uh, thus far for the past. But with, but with a long-running 100% attendance going all the way back, I think, to 2013, hundreds of shows, yep. you would put your yep. streak in jeopardy to not watch Army of the Dead. Yeah, I would, absolutely. I would have no problem with it. <laughs> wow. Zero the King of Horror. We might have to, We might have to see... If this is something that's going to come to pass now, now see, here's the thing now. So now I like feel bad because like it's a pretty impressive streak, right? So like I would hate to be the one to pick it. Like I don't want to be the one that ruins your fucking streak. Although I badly want to pick it because I want you to watch it because I no truly, and I say this truly. Like I know your feelings of Zack Snyder, and I know we we don't need to get down the fucking road about the fucking Dawn of the Dead. That's not my purpose here in any way, shape, or form. But like. With all of those factors and all of the discussion and all of that, that's taken up many minutes of the show over the years, like I truly, truly, truly would be interested in what your like if you were to watch this film, like I like like if there's any film that I truly would want your honest opinion about, like that might be the one. So that's that's the only reason that I that I'm like, man, I should make make the fucking King watch that. But now you're like, oh, I'm not gonna be on that episode. But I just I just, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what's the right answer. No, it's, it's that's right. A, a great way to pause. But so, yeah, we'll see when the time comes, you know, if I decide. Uh, I'm leaning more towards taking that day off and then just, you know, drinking very heavily. But uh, yeah, we'll <laughs> see. We'll see when the time <laughs> When Army of the Dead hits that place, it's going to be All right. Uh, so what else do you have, Dean? 
you know, this this news, uh, given given your love of of George Romero and and the night being your your pick, uh, that was the final uh, final mention that I wanted for this evening. I figured ending with George Romero, uh, what what better place to end uh, than with George Romero for our for our King of Horror? Cool, very well, good, Dean. Nicely done. A great early birthday present for me and Don Romero. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Uh, so let's get into the movie tonight, The Sentinel, from 1971, directed by Michael Winner. So the plot goes something like this. Allison Parker is a young, beautiful fashion model that has decided she needs to live on her own for a little while, away from her boyfriend, Michael Lerman. With the help of real estate agent, Miss Logan, she moves into a brownstone apartment that is inhabited by a blind priest by the name of Father Howard. After moving in, she begins experiencing nightmares regarding her previous suicide attempts and her now-deceased father, as well as numerous strange physical problems. The visits by her eccentric neighbor, Charles Chazen, and his cat, Jezebel, don't exactly help either. In the end, Allison discovers that she has a much bigger purpose for living in this brownstone, one that involves a bizarre and gruesome gateway to hell. So that's the plot of the film as far as why I picked it. This is a film that I've wanted to cover on the show since I first started talking there because it's one of those movies that's almost impossible to find, uh, whether it's on physical medium or online. Uh, so unless you find your shady sites or you find a way to download it or you have a friend that has a copy like me because I have a lot of movies and that's one of them, uh, it's, it's hard to find. So when I saw Tubi had a copy of it, it was automatically my pick. And also I feel like 2021 has become my year of religious horror where I found a wheelhouse where I just like to talk about religious horror movies. And this is one of my favorite ones of all time, uh, The Sentinel. Uh, the, the cast is pretty ensemble and pretty amazing once you go through it and see everybody young and youthful uh, going throughout this movie. And the story kind of holds up. It's not like The Exorcist. It's not like The Omen. Uh, the Sentinel kind of sits on its own property as far as being a religious horror movie and about the Sentinels that protect the gateways to hell and, what suicide means to Catholics and the church, and uh, has something to say, and I think it's kind of fun. So, uh, with that said, uh, Google, what do you think about the Sentinel? Oh, I mean, for starters, I just want to—I mean, I, I feel like The Exorcist holds up just perfectly fine in today's, you know, scheme of things. Um, but uh, as far as this film goes, I mean. It is clearly chasing Rosemary's baby um, in a lot of ways. And I kind of felt that through the entire movie. Uh, I felt like it dragged at times. Um, but, you know, at least when it did, I, I enjoyed the ensemble cast with the little bits and pieces that we got of them. I mean, it's one of those hard ones to kind of give you a quick synopsis as far as my thoughts on it went, because it, it was all over the place with this movie, so... Uh, yeah, that, that, that's where I was at with it. We'll get into it. And I think, uh, I don't know about Rosemary's Baby. I would definitely say that it is chasing something like that. But I know that Convitz, who wrote the book, said he was chasing after the exorcist. He was like, I, I need to make that money. I need to do something like Vladdy did with the exorcist and kind of make my own thing. So mm-hmm. what he's doing. But uh, I could definitely call out the, the Rosemary's Baby references, too. I think it's, it's worthwhile. And we'll get into it. Uh, but, uh, Dean, what do you think about the Sentinel? You know, as usual, when we get back into to films from this era, my biggest concern is usually what the pacing is going to be like. And that usually is, you know, my gripe with a lot of films from this time. And while I feel that this particular film did have some of uh, those little pacing things where, like, 
we don't nearly need to watch the full, like every time characters like walk up steps, like do we need to watch them walk up both flights of steps the whole time? Like we can cut to them getting to the bottom and to them getting to the top, like little things like that, which, you know, for some reason, you know, in old films, they, they like to show all of that. But with that being said, and, and King, you've been on a roll with the, with the religiousness these days. Um, I was not familiar with this film. I had never seen it before. Um, I can't remember if I've heard it or not. And, you know, sometimes the religious shit freaks me out. So um, I found this one interesting. Um, I liked it. It, 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 it kept my attention uh, the whole way through. And, and I'm glad that this was, this was the, uh, the pick this evening. And, and what a cast. Um, I couldn't believe mm-hmm. the amount of people that kept uh, popping up, uh, you know, one after another. Uh, so, uh, granted, many of them were not, um, you know, uh, in the film uh, for that long. It was, I mean, just one person after the next was like, oh, that guy and, and that guy. And, oh, look, it's Jerry Horvath. And it's it's fucking it's Tom fucking Berenger. What the fuck is he doing there? Um, like, it just, uh, you know, uh, I enjoyed the cast. And, man, uh, in, in the, 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 our lead... Um, you know, Alison Parker, our, our lead female, played by uh, Christina Raines. Uh, tell me if you guys agree with me or disagree with me, but if you took, uh, like, Olivia Munn and Linda Cardellini and just, like, smashed their faces together, I feel like you have Christina Raines. Do I sound crazy saying that, or does that sound pretty accurate? Cool. I'd agree with that. No, no, that's just spot on, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely go for that. But yeah, uh, good call. Okay, so thank you, uh, uh, Monkey. What did you think about the panel? Uh, like, like the ghoul, I definitely felt this was heavily borrowing from Rosemary's Baby. Uh, just the uh, whole idea of you know the apartment setup, uh, you know the established neighbors there that are you know keeping an eye on things, you know, with that going on. But that being said, I enjoyed. The, the cast of the neighbors and I really wish we had gotten a lot more of them. Um, yeah, it's a, I, I was enjoying the cast that was in this movie. Again, just echoing what the Dean said, the cast was just a fucking who's who, you know, of everyone that we grew up with watching movies, you know, from our age of cable television up until today. And, you know, every fucking five minutes to be a new person popping up and say, holy fuck, you know, <laughs> like you said, Tom Berridge is here, you know, <clears throat> Jeff Goldblum's here. It's like everyone's fucking here, just doing small cameos here and there. It was just, you know, and Ava Gardner is just, yeah, it's fucking Ava, you know, Gardner, you know, like, she, you know, she's fucking timeless. Um, but I, I like enjoyed the movie. I loved the architecture of the building. You know, I, I, I loved the, her room and the decorating that was going on is just, it was fucking beautiful as shit. I just wish this movie had taken its time and given us some more time with the neighbors and establishing mm-hmm her relationship with the neighbors before they hit us with the spin. You know, uh, I, I would have liked to have there have been more quirkiness going on in the building before we find out the spin. That being said, though, I still had fun with the movie, you know, because I, I still enjoy movies from this era and it just cheesy, cheesy special effects. I'm all over it. And the fact that they weren't afraid to show the gore, you know, you know me, I'm I'm all over that shit. <laughs> and 
And if you put Burgess Meredith in anything, I'll, I'll fucking watch it, man. It's like because mm-hmm. one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, Steve McQueen movies is The Reavers, and he's the narrator throughout the entire thing. He's not in the movie; he's just the narrator. But I fucking love Burgess Meredith, and to see him be able to play the menacing role that he did, like like he did in The Penguin, but without the penguin makeup, and just be fucking straight up menacing was fucking scary as shit. And I was like, not to you, man. You know, seeing that you can actually fucking nail that shit and nail it. You know, like, cause that's what I was hoping I was going to see. And I saw it. I was just like, yeah, it, it, Burgess Meredith definitely fucking delivered in this fucking movie. Yeah, this movie was a fun ride. And again, I'd never seen it. This was my first time viewing it. And again, thanks for exposing me to a new horror movie that definitely has some fun history for us to talk about behind it too. Yeah. It's one of those movies where it's just, it's not really well known. And I think it, it definitely deserves something of a mention uh, around the horror community because it, well, again, it's not the exorcist. The exorcist holds a, a firm place. The omen holds a firm place. It was Mary's baby, same thing. But I think the, the Sentinel is always worth mentioning. Uh, in terms of 70s religious horror, because that was the bad time, was religious horror films, and, and especially Crisis of Faith films, where you have uh, Allison, who has twice tried to commit suicide, once as a girl seeing her father in bed with two very busty women eating cake. Let them eat cake. Where's my birthday cake? <laughs> But we, that reaction of her father rising from the bed and going, what the hell are you doing here? Get out, get out. And then, you know, ripping off her necklace. And then we, I would kill myself, too. I'd be like, nope. I told I you never to come here. Yeah. yeah, but th- that that particular scene, though, was, like, you know, extremely, like, rushed, though. It's like, you know, oh, I saw something else. I'm immediately going to cut both ears. It's like, if anything, I cut up my fucking eyes after having to see that fucking scene. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> So we see that she's obviously, you know, she's had issues, and we also find out that she tried to commit suicide again uh, when she, as we find out with her boyfriend, Michael Worman, his wife, you know, pretended to commit suicide, but there's a shade of murder there that we found out kind of early on by two detectives, one Christopher Walken and Eli Wallach. I mean, holy shit, it is those two guys showing up later. Um, but, no, it's, it's one of those things with the committing adultery, and that's why she tries to commit suicide. She, she committed something bad. The wife's dead, so she tries to do it again. So when we meet her at the beginning, she's at that point where she's okay now. She could go out and do her shampoo commercials and model uh, for Jack, played by Jeff Goldblum, um, and but move out on her own, you know, make her own way in the world. You know, I don't want to get married. I want to be single and, and you know, kind of make my own way. So, of course, going to that brownstone, uh, beforehand, doing that one apartment where they're like, oh, it's 600 a month. I was like, oh, 1977. I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> or the month. Fucking place in New York no. City. And then no, she no, no. the brownstone. Yeah, because it was the unfurnished apartment that was 600 and then she moves to the brownstone that's fully furnished, and she's like, it's 500 And they're like, well, that's still a little steep. And then Ava Gardner's like, well, how about 400 and New York and a fully furnished apartment? Fuck yes. I don't give a shit if it's haunted as fuck. 400 for a New York apartment like that? Hell fucking yeah. <laughs> I thought you said 500. 
It was initially <laughs> oh, five hundred, no. and no, and then no, and then she told Ava Gardner that you know that's a big steep, <laughs> and Ava Gardner was like, "Well, how about four hundred? Yeah, she lowered it, but because, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, she didn't but, say how about four hundred. She said, she said, um, I think that there was because she, you know, because her, her character, uh, you know, was was the one chosen to be put into uh, that apartment. Um, where, uh, you know, obviously I, I believe that the landlady there is in on it. Real estate. The terminology lady. in that scene, the real, the real estate lady, uh, the terminology that she used, uh, you know, she said 400 and she's 500. So I think that's like a little bit much. And then the terminology that she used was like one of those like manipulative sleight of hand. Uh, well, 400 you know, isn't that much. She said something like, oh, surely you, you can cover 400 or, you know, I don't think 400 is asking too much. Like, didn't miss a beat, right. didn't indicate that I'm offering you a lower price. You know, and then she was like, didn't you say 500? She's like, no, 400. Like, I feel that it was more like, all right, what do we have to, I'm going to pull the strings because this is the person that we need in this apartment. Okay. That's how I read the scene anyway. Yeah. And, and right, also okay. we're talking about, and also we're talking about in the 1970s, right, where it's really hard for a single female to do anything. You know, back in that time, it was hard for a single female to have a checking account. It was hard for her to get her own place, you know, because you always had to have a man signing, you know, for her. You know, if, it, if she didn't have a husband, it would have to be her dad signing that kind of shit. You know, so this is a big fucking step, you know, when we're talking about the 70s and what's really going on in the world – for a woman to be trying to step out to have her own place. Yeah. To, to, to want to be on her own without the help. Because she says it early on in the movie. Like, I've been with Michael for two years after my suicide attempt. Like, it's time for me to step out. Like, I'm still going to be with a guy, but I don't want to get married. Like, I, I don't want to be tied down. Like, I, you know, I still want to be able to be free. But, you know, and, and make my own money and make my own way. So it's kind of admirable in a way. And, and it's Unfortunately, Michael, while he's not purposely pushing her like, to say, you know, you can't do this, he's, yeah, you can, but we should still get married. Like, yeah, this isn't a good idea. I mean, come on. Like, you know, we'll get married, it'll be fine. But I wouldn't want to be married to him. I don't want to go diving off a bridge. What happened to the last wife? Like, so I mean, oh, I'm cool. Keep it uh, cool. Let's just, you know, but no. Um, but, yeah, she does the first apartment, and Ava Gardner is really doing that part well, Miss Logan. You know that there's something about her. <laughs> just the way she smiles at Allison and just really quick to push this apartment on her, but don't, not really sure why. But uh, of course, there's the blind man in the window, played by John Carradine, who's Mother Howard, and he just oh, he's he's deaf and he's blind, and he just sits there all day. He's just he's not going to have to worry about it. So move on in and, and you know get comfortable. I don't know how I feel about moving into a furnished apartment, like having all these pictures and shit around like, that aren't mine. I think I might want to talk them, but no, she keeps them. She's everything. You know, there's no scene her tossing anything out. But nah, I don't want that weird portrait of that woman hanging over my bed. Like, no, keep it. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's an option. I think. It, I mean, I, again, I've I've never moved. Well, I mean, no, I guess that's not true. I moved into a furnished place. I mean, this place had furniture when I got in here, but we were allowed to to gut it. But I think in most instances, when you're in a when you're moving into a furnished apartment, I don't think you have the option to to really redecorate all that much. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a 
package deal. You're locked in, man. You yeah, you can't trash anything, man. As a, especially when you, yeah. it was five dollars shit like that. You sure as fuck don't sit there and tra- trade it out for some shit you find at a local department store. No. <laughs> But she moves in the building and, of course, and she starts to meet some of her quirky neighbors, like fucking Burgess Meredith, who is this fucking weird-ass cat and his weird-ass bird. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't smell the cat and Mortimer the bird. You know, that's just, and he's going to have a birthday party for her, you know, for Desiree. Black and white cat with a black and white cake. Like, that's just how he rolls, you know. But it's interesting to note, though, that Brownstone, which is at 10 Montague Terrace in Brooklyn Heights, as of January 20th, 2021, the rent. For unit 2A is $3,995, one bed, one bath. What? That's New York Sounds about right. Not for, yeah, how much? Sorry, did, did, how much again? $3,995. So close to 4, Damn. Yeah. Okay. Close to random. You know, if you want to live in it, because it, it's still the same. They never changed it. So if you go there right now, it looks exactly the same as it does in the movie, except there's no ivy on the side of the building. That was added for the movie. So there's no ivy on the side, but it looks exactly the same as it did. Nothing has been changed. Um, so it's kind of interesting to look online and see that. But, yes, Charles Chase is played by Burgess Meredith, who just steps right in, and he could tell he's kind of eccentric. You know, he's kind of funny. He's a little weird, but there's nothing really kind of telling her, this guy, like, I don't want to be around him. You know, he's got a pet bird and he's got a pet cat. And he leaves photographs of himself behind. Kind of like, hey, welcome <laughs> to the building. Here's, a Here's my glamour shot. Oh. <laughs> you know, just him, just he, like, you know, doing the finger guns. Like, you know, like, all right, well, that's cool. Now I have a photo of my hey, neighbor. Hey. You know, but, yeah. So, and we also get introduced to Gertie and Sandra. Uh, Gertie, played by Sylvia Miles, uh, Angelo. <laughs> Daughter, and you get to watch Beverly D'Angelo masturbate a lot when, when she meets them. So, rub it that sure was something. I had no problem flicking the scene. Flicking that I, beam. I always had a crush yeah, on Beverly I was, D'Angelo. <laughs> I was I was su- just surprised at the at the the way that scene was framed and filmed uh, and presented, given given its 1977 uh, release and you know, the the still yet uh, to have this, you know, like female sexuality is something to be explored. And I don't know if this was like a, you know, quote unquote mainstream film when it was released, but like when this scene took place, I was like, damn, like this is, this is, this is an interesting scene right here, uh, you know, and, and not because of the, the content, uh, but more so just the time that this film, film was made. Um, but yeah, well, very, very interesting I mean, scene right there. This is 1977. You know, we've had all kinds of, like, movements go on at this point. Like, here's the thing that I found with this movie. You know, if you add, I mean, if you take the film, the style of filming, the way the the scenes are shot, throw in the music that they have going on in this movie, 
this movie was just lacking fuck scenes because this was filmed and shot and seemed like a porn. Mm-hmm. Like all it needed were sex scenes like interjected here and there. Like this reminded me of so many of the seventies and eighties porn movies that I used to steal from my freaking stepfather, man. Um, <laughs> you know, and this, this particular moment, like just really like added to the whole thing. Cause it really was bizarre. You know, yes, this is Beverly D'Angelo, you know, who I'm sitting there thinking from all the national lampoons movies. And there she's fuck going yeah. to town on herself right there. Like, uh, I mean, obviously we're in 2021 now, so a, 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 a lesbian couple, all that stuff just doesn't seem so so foreign to us here. Maybe it was a little bit more shocking then, and obviously based on where we know these characters are, when we look at the movie as a whole, we do, we know that it was considered something something of a of a sin, so to say. Um, but it's also New York, so like I don't know. For me, New York was always about that kind of thing, you know? It just always seemed like it was free for expression and, and being different. Banging at the brownstone. Who's <laughs> <laughs> also the same director as uh, Death Wish 3, you know, and the other Death Wish movies, yeah. too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he directed all of them, I believe. Death Wish 3, the greatest bad film ever made, will never be top. <laughs> so it's the only Death Wish movie I have seen, and that is because of you, Dean. If I can rewind for a second, it's just, you know, just to go off topic for just a quick second, is, okay, this movie is definitely based off of a novel, okay? And I just wanted to ask you, because, you know, you're the heaviest re- horror reader out of all of us, is did you know this as a movie first, or did you know this as a book first? Uh, movie first. Uh, you know, I discovered it as a movie first. I bought the book, and then I bought the sequel, The Guardian, which actually came out a couple of years after uh, the film. Um, follow uh, Sister Teresa. We'll find out later on in the movie who that is. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I bought the books afterwards at a used bookstore, and then mm. I saw the movie first. Yeah, I, 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 and, I want to say it was in the early 2000s I watched the movie for the first time. I rented it. And from what I was, uh, you know, as what we all saw when we did our research, you know, there was a lot of clashes between the director and the writer of this book, you know, for content, <laughs> you know, where they, they were arguing with each other back and forth. And I just wanted to ask you if you thought uh, this movie actually stays pretty true to the content of the book. Uh, not really. Not entirely. I mean, it does. To a certain point. But, Don't spoil yeah, uh, the book Michael, because I I do have a question yeah, no. then, real quick, King. In your opinion, book or movie better? No book spoilers. No book spoilers. Oh, exactly. if you want, uh, book. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely go with the book. Very cool. Um, <laughs> and you can yeah, copy because... it on there. They don't have it's not too expensive. Yeah, you can probably get copies really cheap on, on thrift books, but as I've talked about previously on the show, um, you know, I have my long running uh reading project where I go back and read books uh, you know, that were turned into films but of which I've seen the film and had not yet read the book. Um I uh, just finished one and I'm in the middle of another and actually mm-hmm. next up is, is Ghost Story. Uh, which we covered on the show several weeks ago. I had said that night that I was going to order the book, but I'm going to look into the Sentinel mm-hmm. book as well. 
Yeah, it's just because while we were watching the movie, you know, I was talking about how it was based on a book and all that kind of stuff, and apparently there were lots of, you know, complications between the director and the author, you know, about how they were going off course, and that's when the diva chimed in, and she was like, I've always believed that when on set, there should be someone cast on set called the book slapper, and I was like, the fuck do you mean the book slapper? She goes, it's someone who's in charge of holding the book, and every time the director goes way the fuck off the book, it's their job to slap the director upside the face with the fucking book so they remember to stay on topic. Yeah. yeah I mean, I guess. <laughs> That's one of those weird ones, though, man, because you know what? It, it is a difficult transition to go from the written word to the movie screen. So I, oh, yeah. I give... A lot of I give a lot of credit to to some of these guys how they they have to adapt these things you know I, I don't think they ever do it maliciously I I just think unfortunately sometimes it just doesn't work out the way we may like it yeah I mean I, I agree with uh, the ghoul on that one but uh, after a series of different events that happened in the building Allison finally meets back with Miss Logan and she's like hey listen there's a lot of fucking weird people in this building and I'm hearing a lot of weird noises and it's fucking bothering me so. Like, seriously, like, what the fuck? Like, there's nobody living there. It's just you and, and Halloran. That's impossible. I met Gertie, and I met, you know, I'm Sandra, and I met Charles Chazen. So, of course, they go to the, the apartment, and there's nothing there. All the apartments are furnished, <laughs> but in disrepair. You know, they're going to be refurnished. But, well, this is where I, I saw the party. This is where we had a party for a cat. And I just, you know, <laughs> wants to go see Halloran, but, of course, that's a big no-no. Howard's not going to be able to tell you anything anyway. He's blind. You know, he didn't, his hearing is shot, so he's not going to hear anything. And we also see uh, Monsignor Fancino from earlier in the film uh, show up in the apartment. And he's obviously leading things the way that they're going to lead uh, for what would be the end of the movie and to get with hell. But not getting into that building. And on the other side of the world, Michael in New York is hiring his private investigator friend, James Brenner, to check out Alice's building and find out what the fuck is going on. Um, and that's where you kind of get a sense that Michael does some shady dealing, you know, because he doesn't even say, hey, uh, it's, it's, uh, Mike, how you doing? He just goes, it's me. I'm like, ah, okay. I'll yeah. do it, boy. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> you know. has definitely, you know, got got some side gigs on the side here. Of, you know, some people definitely own some fucking favors for shit, you know, especially if they're into convertible. In <laughs> fact, the producers, when they made this film, they wanted Chris Sarandon because he had been Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino, and they're like, he was nominated for an Oscar. We want to get that guy. He shows up on set, and they're like, who brought the fucking Greek waiter onto the set? And they're like, that's Chris Sarandon. And they're like, what? That's not Chris. That's not the guy from Dog Day Afternoon. He's like, yeah, it is. I was like, all he did was throw a mustache. And he looked like a young Ron Jeremy. He did. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So that night, when Brenner's going to the building, Allison's also waking up in the middle of the night hearing noises, and she sees Chazen's cat Jezebel eating Mortimer the bird, and as she's going through the room, she sees a shape run past her real quick. And of course, what else are you going to do? Myers? You're going to pick up that flesh. And no, turns even out worse. Her father, naked daddy, uh, naked yeah. daddy. In a pair of shorts. <laughs> holding a knife, she repeatedly stabs him in the arm, in the chest, slices off his nose. Just does a bang-up job. On in the, the eyeball, eye. man. And I love the eyeball. Yeah, in the eyeball. Yeah, the, the pop. Every... <laughs> yep. 
and just running out of the building, screaming. And that's when I started to laugh. I was like, this is New York City. Do you really think they're all going to run outside and go, oh, my God, what's wrong? I was like, does nobody remember? Yeah, especially – yeah, yeah, because yeah. 4 o'clock in the morning, and she comes screaming out, you know, and everyone comes running out like it's fucking dinner time. It's like, first you got to give people time to fucking wake up. You know, then go, what the fuck's going on? Oh, there's a crazy bitch in the street. Should we call the cops? I don't fucking know. It's like they come running out like they're waiting for it, you know? <laughs> like they come flooding out of their buildings like it's a musical. Like as she's laying in the street <laughs> screaming about And um, everyone's, everyone starts snapping their fingers in unison. <laughs> What's going on right now? I hear a noise in the street. She's got a knife. He's setting a music number. And coming to Broadway with too, that, of the musical. <laughs> yeah, um, but with that said, yes, Allison goes to the hospital. Uh, there's blood that doesn't match anybody except for her. But it's the detectives Gat and Rizzo, played by Eli Wallach and Christopher Walken, who just walks around this movie just chewing gum and just putting his hands on his hips a lot. All the chew gum and put fucking, your hands on your hips. And I was like, I'm. I fucking love the detective Rizzo. It's like, because I was like, oh, wow, Muppets. Okay. <laughs> Rizzo the rat. <laughs> it's always think of Muppets take Manhattan, man. Him cooking in the restaurant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they started doing all the shaking. They had their little musical moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could have been another moment, but yeah. musical moment in this movie. But no. But, yeah, but, yeah. Is, because he knows about Michael. He knows that his wife's plunge off that bridge wasn't suicide. He just can't pin it off. He just didn't have the evidence. But he's always going to be following him around. And I just love his interactions with him. Like when he goes back to his apartment later on in the movie, he's like, invite us in. And then he just pops out the cigar. <laughs> Written on the face, like, I got yeah. you, motherfucker. I got you now. <laughs> yeah, and what yeah, does he do? He, what is he, He's a detective that knows he's got his guy, but his guy was able to work his way through the process before, and he's just got to figure out the connections. Yeah. There's just, there has to be uh, something that he can sit on, but he can't. So now with Allison, you know, come running out of a building covered in blood, he's like, well, this is my chance. Like, you know, because you have a second person that you love with that's having problems. So, yeah, no, we're, we're going to get to the bottom of this one real quick. We gotta do something on this guy. Um, and then, yeah. as we later find out, Brenner actually stabbed death in his car. And guess what? His blood type matches Allison's exactly. Oh. How convenient. <laughs> he was stabbed in his blood type matches Allison. So it's like, well, that's all wrapped up. Hey, Gats, go back to your fucking desk. Don't go after Michael again. Which, of course, I know what to get this guy. <laughs> but, on, yeah, you, yeah, but. <laughs> but he's got a lot of ideas, a lot of what ifs, and it's, of course, you know, newer detective boss, they're like, yeah, it's a lot of what ifs. <laughs> you ain't got shit. <laughs> we ain't got time. You got paperwork. You got to do. Do your fucking paperwork. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's also super interesting that Michael is super into Houdini because I was like, oh man, a guy that could escape everything like Michael, definitely into Houdini. Master of illusion. All those Houdini posters <laughs> all over the wall. <laughs> yeah, you're making a choice there. Like, you're a lawyer, makes a bank in New York, and you want to buy Houdini posters? 
choice. Yeah, I was wondering if they were like trying to like allude to something. Like, for the life of me, I couldn't figure that one out, man. Just, uh, maybe it was like a drop plot line. I mean, is it something from the book? Maybe there was mentions of his love of, of Houdini, without going into spoilers. But yeah, he does talk about magician and magic, like okay. trying to equate what's happening. To so no, yeah, like I said, that's that's the only kind of thing I'll say. But. Uh, but yeah, you know, the only thing I could take yeah. from it too, because it never comes up in the movie. There's never any yeah. any purpose for it other than just decoration. Well, no, and but, but also it will also you see him constantly doing sleight of hand in the background. You know, always messing with the card deck mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So maybe that was just his hobby. Mm-hmm. Because then, because then, weirdly enough, uh, when she goes to the party later, there's another fucking magician. You know? <laughs> wow. I was like, imagine going to a party and you're like, oh man, get with the drink and hang out with my friends at the last event. A fucking magician shows up. What? It, what? Okay. I would have loved I just that want to listen to party. Well, what are you guys, man? <laughs> good magician. Not every can be. Not everyone can be Copperfield on Terror Train. Yeah. So uh, Allison Rizzo <laughs> and Gats uh, talk to Michael. While she's walking, she goes to a church, and she's confronted by uh, Monsignor Francino. Doesn't know who she is, just knows that she kind of wants to find her way back to the Catholic Church. And he tells her, listen, I know you've tried to commit suicide twice, committed adultery, but embrace Jesus, child, and just return, and all will be well. So it's fine. Like, you won't feel bad again if you just embrace Jesus, because that's going to be the cure-all. Just say, hey, Jesus, I need you, and you're not going to be depressed anymore. And specifically come to me. Don't go to don't go to any other motherfuckers. Go specifically to me. Oh, that <laughs> that though, when she returns later, and not to fast forward a little bit, but yeah, when she goes back to the church and it's another priest, and she's like, "Well, no, I want to talk to the guy that was here before." He's like, "Well, I'm the only one here though," and then she, "Oh my God!" runs out of the gift. Yeah, it's a church. You know that there's more than one priest in this church, right? There's always at least two yeah. or three. It's not well, a... no, but I think what no, he was what? saying is he's the only priest for that church. Yeah, that's how I took it, too. He shouts after her. He could have been a visiting priest. And she's like, no, stop it. Like, I was like, But it's true. He could have been a visiting priest. It's not like yeah. he did for other priests. Can't. It's not like a turf war. It's not like West Side Story for priests. Where they just come in snapping their fingers like you can't be on my turf. Like no, mm. no, he can visit. Like I just not what I heard. Man. Man. I've heard some <laughs> shit. Uh, a lot of drama, huh? But um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So and <laughs> under the frost, you know. <laughs> um, but at one point they go back to the apartment, Allison and Michael, and looking around the room. She notices that the, the carpet had been changed in the room where they had found the disposable light, that it was gold at one point, now it's green. And she goes over and looks at all these books that are on the shelves, Marquis de Sade, torture books, and she finds one that she just says the same thing over and over again, and it's in Latin. He's like, it's, it's, Michael says it's not Latin. She's just saying it is, so we'll write down what it's saying. And she's just writing out this whole thing. He's like, well, I'll be damned. You're really seeing Latin. I get it when you guys say that this movie drags in parts because this was a drag part for me where we're just watching her write down this passage and he's just mystified by the fact that she's writing down Latin that she's never read or heard before and it's just all these passages. So 
What do we have to do? We got to go to the professor, Professor Rizinski, played by Martin Balsam, Arbogast, Psycho. Get him to. to uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, guys, I get it. It's dragging a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. No, but but, uh, but no, but again, you know, another face pops up. You're like, holy shit! You know, it's another fucking cameo. <laughs> Martin Balsam, Arbogast, but yeah, he's the one that you know gives him the explanation of the Latin. And that is from Milton's Paradise Lost, you know, abandon it all, hope all you enter here. So it's, it's one of those things where it's just kind of even furthering the mystery about why there's murderers that have been executed living in Allison's apartment. Like, I love the last scene with Gats and Rizzo where they're looking at all these people that she described and like, oh, they were all executed. Like, that's weird that she saw all these people. Well, anyway, I guess we're done. And then you just never <laughs> see him again. They're out. Like, yeah, you know, well, they're, it's like they're, they're all executed. They're all murderers. You know, the people that were hanging at the party and shit like that. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. And then they just drop them. They just drop the characters instead of going, oh, shit, we might have something. <laughs> Some detectives yeah. no, there. No, <laughs> I mean, there's an alternate cut in this movie that you could find on the Screen Factory release Blu-ray where there is an additional scene with Rizzo and Gap at the end of the movie where they show up um, after everything has transpired. They don't really add anything. They just kind of show up to be there. Um, but it's an additional scene because there are alternate versions of this movie. And there are more orgy scenes and there's more scenes with priests and a couple of the versions, but they've been lost the time as a lot of these movies have. So who knows if we're ever going to be able to see the, the winner cut, relief the winner cut of uh, Sen. I'll just start that hashtag on Twitter. In black and white. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sentinel is gray. Sentinel is gray. <laughs> Michael Mancino. Michael no, Mancino. Gray. We'll find out if it's, it could be Christian. You know, but, uh, <laughs> the Monty says, listen, the guy's old. He, you know, he retired in 1952. Leave him alone. Then Michael asked him about the Milton Latin stuff, and he said, I don't know anything about that, so why don't you go away because I'm not giving you any of the files. That's church property. So beat rock. And he's like, that's okay because I know a guy that could pop open lock. Played by William Hickey, of all people. Again, cameo! Fucking another connection to uh, National Lampoons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Hickey show. Perry, his name is Perry in the movie. It's Harry right. Hickey that plays the XCOM top lock. He doesn't really care about anything. He just pops lock. So he, I just love the fact that he's trying to follow along with Michael, and he's just, ah, uh-huh, yeah, all right, I'm following, yeah. Look at all these people. They tried to commit suicide. He's a priest and none. Uh-huh. Ooh, that, that's okay. But then he's like, what do you make of this? He goes, look, man, I just popped a lock, okay? I just popped locks. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean break dancing, because that ain't really happening yet. <laughs> That's from my bro, Turbo and Dust. Just a few short years away. <laughs> but yeah, after breaking into the church, they find out that, yes, there's people over the years that have tried to commit suicide, disappeared, and then they gathered new identities as either priests or nuns, and that they all died in the very same apartment building that Allison now lives. So it's like the <gasps> place where. Sentinels are, and there's a file for Allison that she's soon going to be Sister Teresa. 
at the tomorrow. Yeah, we have to do something. So I'm going to ask her friend, played by Deborah Raffin, previous movie we discussed, God Told Me To, and also Deathless Tree, playing uh, the wife, you know, from Bronson. So take her to the party. Let's have fun. There's magician. And she's clearly looks like she hasn't eaten in days, hasn't slept in days, just laying yeah. on that couch like, I'm having fun. Yay. <laughs> Can I go home now? <laughs> No, but it's New York in the seventies. Everyone looks like that at a party. She looked like Mackay Pfeiffer's <laughs> wife in uh, in the Superior Dawn of the Dead movie. Oh man. Mm. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, the funky party going on. There's bad magic tricks all over the place. She only has one job: keep it on her friend the entire night. You know. <laughs> but no, somehow yeah. she's able to escape through you know the fire door that I'm sure was painted shut. Because that's all they fucking did in New York in the seventies was just paint the shit shut. <laughs> but yeah, it's they, a they, way they, to get out. Well, it's because you know, that's her destiny. Like, there's nothing going to keep her from her destiny, whether she knows it or not. Like, that's it. She's locked in. So you could keep her in a locked room, and she'll find her way out. Like, there's just no going back for her, whether she knows it or not. It's, it's, she has a destiny to fulfill. You know, after midnight uh, at her building. So while she's at the party and escaping. Michael's at the brownstone breaking into a hidden wall in the building where it has a quote from Paradise Lost. Father Howler appears and says, oh, this building is an entrance to hell. And Michael's oh, like, well, God damn it. I want explanation. Like, come on, give me some moral, <laughs> man. Like, give me something I else. I knew it. Like, this is stupid. Just talk to me. <laughs> and, of course, Howler is not saying anything. He's like, I'll kill you. And I was like, well, that's an escalation, Michael. So a little bit of an escalation. <laughs> Yeah, more. <laughs> Choke, choking yeah. the old, trying to choke out the old fuck, <laughs> and unfortunately, it's a bad dummy that he's trying to choke out. You see it just going all over the place, like you know, <laughs> just dropping all over the place. Uh, lip. Yeah. yeah, it's hanged <laughs> off screen, grabbing from the statue that's in the apartment, and, and you hear Michael struggle, and then we don't see him again until Allison returns back to the building, and she's greeted by Michael, who's oddly. <laughs> Oddly, just kind of hanging out, like you know, hey. Uh, so Latin uh, is a warning from the angel Gabriel to the angel Uriel, uh, station at the gateway to Eden. So yeah, that's what I found out. And then we have Jezebel showing up, and Jezebel jumps into the arms of Michael, and he's like, "Hey, here's the thing. I was killed earlier, um, and I'm in hell now. So let's deal with that." Before anything else. And she's like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, that's what happened. And, and now you're going to have to fulfill this destiny, but I am Legion. And then his face breaks apart, which, again, you can see the filaments when you watch it uh, rip apart his face. You know, it's not a very good effect, but I can see for 70, but you know, people. It was it still fun. I enjoyed it. It was, it, it was fun. I liked it, man. Mm-hmm. We also got to reveal that he also hired Brenner to kill his wife, Karen. So he's a sinner, and that's why he is in hell. But this is where we get one of the most controversial parts of the entire film, and that's Michael Winner hiring actual people with medical maladies to play the devil that come from hell. This, that's not makeup in any of them. That's actual medical oddities that we see. Yeah, I, and I, I, so, I fucking loved it, man. It's like, mm-hmm. This is one of the things where the, the, the re- real deformities in real life have, like, always, like, freaked me the fuck out. It's like, you know, ever, ever since 
I saw the Elephant Man as a kid, you know, and to find out that, that, dude, I'm getting there, all right, and to find out this kind of stuff happens (laughs) and that, you know, people have been really hip with this stuff, and it's just one of those things where it's like I've always been fascinated with that ever since, which is why this kind of stuff would lead me to reading Ripley's, you know, of all the oddities that they they would find all over the world. But then, like you said, King, you know, it, you know, this was a huge thing that they were doing this and casting these people into this movie. possible. I mean, this is what people from hell would look like. So let's hire them. I mean, he he wanted them to be treated like everybody else, and he didn't like the fact that a lot of the crew didn't want to be. I mean, how do we know so, this? Oh, from commentary. What? From the audio commentary. No, yeah. no. I mean that you're saying that this is what people from hell look like. You know what I mean? You're taking that from from a book in well, the past amongst, you know, how many years of uh, different by-mouth shit. Uh-huh. I mean, who knows? I mean, that's – Winner thought it was a great idea to have these people in the movie. That's what he thought that devils would look like. That's why he did it. But you also have Chazen kind of weeping everybody, including Sandra and Gertie and Mrs. Clark and all of these people, and basically telling Allison that you need to just off yourself because you don't want to be the sentinel. You just, you have no choice. You have to do this, my love. Put this knife in your hand and kill yourself while you still have the chance. But who arrives in time? The Devil Busters. And Chino, come in here. Yeah, Alan's coming in here. Alan carrying that cross. cross. And with his big brass cross, you know, that he got into the dollar store. You know, that's engraved, you know, and he's coming through and he's, you know, they're peeling away, you know, as he comes through the cross and, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's separating, like, you know, he's the main event in a boxing match. <laughs> I would have liked yeah, just, for this to have ended a little bit differently here. Uh, I would have preferred for Allison to have been able to make her stand here and accept that this was her fate. You know, as opposed, I mean, because, you know, this, this character for the whole movie had been trying to be an independent woman. And unfortunately, at the end here, it comes down to two men of the cloth come walking in with some crosses yeah. to stop this whole mm-hmm. thing and for her to finally, you know, grab her cross and, and, and that's it. Cross. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, it's a, I think it's a good statement on the character as a whole. I, I quite agree with you, Ghoul. And I think it's one of those yeah. things where it's kind of like a jab at the Catholic Church, where it's like, if you got Jesus, you got everything. So who cares? You know, yeah. it's quite the survivor. Oh, did you just accept Christ? Yeah. That's good. Mm. Yeah, but also, it's like, then there's also the flip side of, okay, you have the demons from hell. Then the demons from hell were doing the job of the Catholic Church for them because they're coming out there and they're coming out in force, you know, like he was saying, you know, they are a legion, you know, commit suicide, take your own life, you know, and then you can be a part of us. And they're scaring her into the role that she's supposed to do. So she's doing, I mean, they are doing the job of what the Catholics are supposed to be doing instead of they're going, you know, Catholics saying, hey, you have a job. You're prophesied to do this. You know, this is what you need to do. The, the demons are scaring her to, going, okay, you can sit there and rot in hell and be with us. You know, go ahead. Be free with us. Or, and then comes mm-hmm. in the Catholics. So, yeah. you know, and, the, the, you know, because, yeah. like, I've had this 
long-time firm belief of, like, you know, when it comes time for heaven and hell, and, you know, I'm at the fucking gates and shit like that, you know, and, I, and you know, I, I definitely believe I ought to be sent to hell. You know, at the same time, I'm going to sit there and be having a word with fucking upper management going, you owe me a fucking position or something because you have any idea how many people I've sent your way because they fucking hung out with me and seen the things I've fucking done. It's like the things I've, it's like how many people I've scared to Christianity through my actions. And this is exactly what happens here is that she was scared into going to Christ because of them. Not because of what the Catholic Church did, but because of them. No. Yeah, it wasn't anything that, that uh, you know, she did or they did. It's just they came in with a big-ass cross, and it was scaring away the devil. So, yeah, well, I'll take it. I'll sit in the chair. You know, that means they're well, all going to no, go I get, away. I get what Monkey's saying, too, though. Monkey's saying that it was, you know, her fear. And, I mean, it's, it's very true with religion. You know, it's her fear that brought her back to the church. Had she not been having the, these issues, she, she never would have even gone back to begin with. Um, and you see that often, you know. You see that when people are sick and they're dying, you know. It's, it's just that, that, that just in case there is something more, I better make, do, you know, make good with things now type of deal. But, you know, I don't know. If, if you're going by the actual rules, I, I don't think it uh, necessarily works that way. But then again, it all depends on, on what part of the rule book you're in. Yeah, it really does. It depends on what your faith is. Depends on what the rule book you're with. You know, what part of the Bible you're reading that day. But yeah, the the <laughs> you know, I love Shane because he's just jumping up and down, screaming, you know, and telling all the devils to get back. He's like, "Get back, demons! Get back, devils! We've got to get back into the walls!" Like you know, because he knows that the new Sentinel has been chosen. Power runs out, and Sister Teresa is in. So they all go back into the walls and they disappear. Uh, the additional scene I was talking about with Gats and Rizzo, they arrive at the apartment building where Father Halloran is being carried out in a bunch bag, and the medical examiner is just saying that he died of a heart attack. <clears throat> they go into the building, and they see that there's nobody there, <clears throat> so the building gets demolished, as we see. You know, they're pounding up that building, oh, okay. and then they put a new building on it. So we're going to put it in the same location, but it's going to be a different-looking building. Obviously, this was an effect that they made for the movie. They make it look like it was a different building, same one, just kind of covered up, but... Um, we get introduced once again to Miss Logan, who's showing back up to show the apartment to a new couple. Oh, I love the apartment. Todd Berenger. The remake of Friday the 13th, Pamela Voorhees. <laughs> yeah. And just Tom Berenger's just like, hey, guys, I'm in this movie, wink, wink. You'll see me in other things coming up in a few years, but I'm starting Sniper. Here, so. Sniper, too. <laughs> Sniper, too. Major, major League. The substitute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is a great substitute movie. Too. With, uh, Eric Ellen. But, um, <laughs> so he shows up with his wife to look at the building. Miss Logan showing them around and says, That's, well, there's only two people in this building. There's a musician, and the other one's a recluse, blind nun, who lives on the top floor. And as we go and pan our way up, as we close out the movie, we see that it is Allison now as Sister Therese holding that golden cross that she had held earlier. And we close out as she overlooks the city, once more pretending to be the sentinel and protector of that entrance to hell. She won't oh, like when you take the whole blindness into account, you know? Like maybe the idea is, is that she had to make the decision to blind herself. So because the only that way the demons could get to her is through her vision. You know what I mean? There's so many different ways they could have went with it. And they, I don't know. I feel like they just kind of 
just dropped the ball a little bit at the end. The, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, who, the, who knows? yeah, the very, very end where the decision is made, you know, and, you know, it's done. It's, it's very, very, very rushed, in my opinion. There, there should have been some, some kind of thing going on between the Catholics and whatnot. You know, the Catholics going, you can make this choice and you can be, become the new guardian. You know, you can become the new sentinel, you know. You know, while Bridges Meredith is going, no, 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 come this way, free will, all that, blah, 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 you know, there should have been some kind of struggle there. And like the ghoul said, you know, because we're talking about the 70s, we're talking about women's rights at this time, especially, you know, and we're talking about women trying to become strong women. A Mickey moment. But there's, like the ghoul said, there should have been a moment of her showing her strength of making the decision and not it being forced on her. Yeah, no, it, it, it wasn't a choice that she had. Like, it was a predetermined choice that the Catholic Church made on her behalf. Like, she didn't get a say. It's just the fact that she tried to kill herself twice, so they're like, well, this is perfect. This is who it's going to be. Like, <laughs> she didn't choose in that chair to say, okay, I, I decided this is what I want to do. No, it, it wasn't given. So the Catholic Church being the Catholic Church, but when you look at it from the Catholic Church's standpoint, you know, the whole idea of if you are to do that, you're going to hell anyway. So the idea is that maybe she was, by, by standing guard at the gate, she's preventing herself from having to go in. That could be a good point, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, no, the, the set I was talking about was of Gertie and Sandra. Towards the end of the movie, where they're sitting on the balcony by the stairs, and they're just going to town on uh, Michael's brain, completely naked and <laughs> snacking on his. Brain. Like, I just I love that one single shot where she's like, "Oh my god!" And it's like, "Yeah, <laughs> oh, do you want to see it?" Like, we'll send you some. <laughs> you want to go back and get a piece? Chilled on monkey brain. So yeah, I'm glad that you guys enjoyed it. I always love talking about it. Uh, but monkey, your pick is next week. What do you have for us? What's going on? All right, my my yeah, me next week. All right, uh, next week we are going to definitely go horror. Like in my opinion, horror themes, but not so much. 100% hard. So, King, I'm shifting gears here, and we're taking a step back like I told you, all right? So, yeah, hard themes, in my opinion, but not straight horror. And however you want to say it, Studio Ghibli, Studio Ghibli, Studio Ghibli, all right, we're going with Hal Miyazaki's Spirited Away. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right, so a cartoon. All right. All right. Oh. I, I, okay, for anyone who does not own a copy, I have a free link in English for us to watch. All right? So there we go. Next week we are going with Hal Miyazaki's Immortal Spirited Away. I know that the ghoul is confu- excitedly confused. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm, I'm, I, no, I'm not. I'm actually, I'm thrilled. You know what I mean? Actually, so yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm very, very thrilled on it. Um, Dean, you have access to HBO Max. I do. So then you'll be able to watch it through that. Okay, I will. because either way, oh. I, do, I, I do, I do have a free link if anyone needs it. All right, but th- yeah, that is my pick. 
So we're going anime next week. Uh, we're going old school uh, Shinto and old gods, and yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. Huh. We'll see. Didn't see it I'm not either. sure, but hey. It's, it's animated, so I know, I know the king is going to hate it. <laughs> oh. You forgot that it's animated. King, yeah, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. if, if you want, I'll sit with you, king, and we can watch it together. <laughs> I need to get through that. And the following week, king, we're going to do the never-ending story. I'm sorry. It's never going to happen. I watched it once. I survived. And I, I'm good. I'm never in the story. I made it through it, and I'm no better for it. <laughs> oh, that movie. I still have nightmares about that one. Never ending story. It never ended. <laughs> it was awesome. that, that title was appropriate. But, so, yeah, that'll be next week. Uh, Spirited Away. Uh, so, away we go next week. So, thank you for that choice, and we'll be back here next week to discuss that. Uh, Gene, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you back here next week. So... I just want to check in here, though, with your uh, continued disdain for never-ending story. Uh, what you're saying is that for my next pick, you would not like me to select the never-ending story to the next chapter. God, no. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants that pick, man. Worth <laughs> part one. Here's a Sophie's Choice question. Uh, real again, it is, a, if, it is a Jonathan you, Brandis movie. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but I want to ask the king, right? If for my next pick, it, it was going to be between the Neverending Story Two and Army of the Dead, and you were the one that had to make the choice for me, which one would have picked? Uh, I'll go with Neverending Story Part Two. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I have a lot to yeah, think uh, about. Army of the Dead or Lion King? Oh, Lion King, easily. That movie cracked me up. I love it when the guy died at the beginning. That's the big lion. And then all of them just stamped over him. That was fun. And then the two animals were like, hey, man, I know your dad's dead, but hey, forget about it. Who could have thought it, right? It's like, dude, my dad just fucking died. No, no, we think about how we're happy. Cheer the fuck up, dude. And I, and I fart a lot <laughs> while I do it. <laughs> I've had no time to mourn my dad, but yes, please let's sing a song about how we have to be happy. <laughs> I love it. So well, it's... It's it's their motto. <laughs> What's yeah. the motto? <laughs> What's the motto with you? <laughs> Sing a happy song, Dusty. We have to just be ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I love that. If you know, we go to a person's funeral, it's like, I, I got shaved death. That's his mate. I'm a Tata guy. No, but he was seriously, he got gunned down last week. Hakuna Matata, dude. Yes, I'd be free. <laughs> I don't think you understand me. My father was murdered. I know, dude. Hakuna fucking Matata. It means just be happy. Okay. <laughs> Enter fart joke. <laughs> so, oh, everything's good. <laughs> Thank you. Yep, I completely forgot my head. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, uh, so we'll see what uh, the dean does pick for his pick. Uh, so next week. When again, King was a young warthog. I was. When I was a young warthog. Thank you for joining. Yes, so I'm the Madison Monkey. Thanks. Thanks for listening to tonight's episode of Talking Terror. And let me come in your ear. Good night, everybody.
Kiss it. All right. So, all right, Ghoul, why don't you go ahead and sign off about tonight's episode? Yeah, do that, Ghoul. <laughs> I shall. Stay scared, everybody. Stay scared. <laughs> For me, your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G. I hope you guys had fun with tonight's episode. Hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Hail Odorous. Keep America strong. Watch horror movies. And remember, if somebody in your family gets brutally murdered, it's okay to think of Kuna Matata because everything is going to be okay. See you next week, everybody. Be prepared. <laughs>